0: Hi. Welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. Put your hands together. Oh, I've just, as, as Michael's coming to the platform, I just noticed Stephen and Elizabeth Maguire from Found Church uh, Assistant Associate Pastors at uh, the Found Church in Falkirk that we worked with on the Wilgrams Celebration. Let's make them feel very welcome. Come on. Thank you. Good to see you guys. It's good to have Larbert here. Uh, united with Dunfermline here today so uh, michael we're just going to give over to michael thank you super morning church how are we all doing Woo. i heard one person's good i think it was you marco good on you but you know it's great to be here and um i kind of learned a lesson actually now that i've become a father that the worst thing to try and do is prepare a sermon with your wee daughter beside you, (laughs) because you're in the middle of watching Biggleton or Bits and Bobs or Teletubbies on the TV, and I'm an absolute sucker for just getting drawn into these TV shows, so um, the bad news is I'm not preaching on Teletubbies, but the good news is I've got something better, so that's exciting, so as Aaron said, we're kind of looking at the topic just now, heroes of faith, and it kind of got me... To begin with, what exactly does hero faith actually mean? So to begin with, I looked up what does hero mean, and the definition of a hero is a person who is admired for their courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. And then I thought, right, what does it mean to have faith? And the dictionary describes it as complete trust or confidence in someone or something Obviously, we have the Bible to turn to for faith as well, so I'm just going to look at Hebrews 11, and it says this, faith is a confidence that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see, and it goes on to say, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and what we now see did not come from anything that we could see. So there you have it heroes of faith can be defined as a hero of faith as somebody who has noble qualities based on the example of living out a life of trust and belief in the living God. And from that, it got me thinking about my journey as a Christian and kind of what, what was, how, how's my walk of faith been. And one of my earliest memories of my journey of becoming a Christian was going to a Christian camp you know, just like the Synergy Youth, they're currently down at Rock Nations, and that's kind of what they do for their kind of summer camp, if you like. Um, I used to go out to a sports camp for my version of it, and one of the memories I can always think of is singing the song, Days of Elijah. Who remembers the song, Days of Elijah? Wasn't that a great song? And I just always, it just brought me back, and you know, it says, these are the days of Elijah, declaring the words of the Lord. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I just started, I just got a strange thought upon me. Could you imagine just getting to heaven and the angels singing, these are the days of Michael declaring the word of the Lord. How exciting would it be if you got to heaven and you were recognized as being declaring the word of the Lord. And it just got me thinking about what a great hero of faith this Elijah was. So my goal today is to highlight who is Elijah? Why was he a hero of faith? And how is we as Christians, how can we live a life declaring the word of the Lord? Does that sound okay to you guys? It's not a Teletubbies, but hey, it's going to be exciting stuff. So as you can see, I've called my sermon, these are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. And I very much had the enthusiasm to begin with to do almost like a this is your lifestyle of Elijah and do an overview of his life and boy was I kidding, my, what a, kidding myself on there when you start to look at his kind of the life of Elijah I would be up here for about a week solid talk, speaking about him so I thought it's pretty unfair on you guys <clears throat> so I kind of whittled that down to the first chapter of Elijah's life and I thought even that I could be up here for days on that so eventually I agreed on I'll do verse 1 to 7, which doesn't sound a lot, but when you start to look at it, you realize there's so much packed into the Bible that when you start to go deeper with God into what he's saying, it's incredible. So just before we start that, I just wanted to do a wee introduction about what is the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. So 1 Kings, this is kind of from my study Bible, so I'll just read this out. 1 Kings opens describing the final days of King David. That was the hero of faith that we heard about last week from Stuart. In his succession, when David died, Solomon took over the throne and established himself as a strong and wise leader. In the early years of Solomon's reign, Israel experienced what's called its glory days. And there was no threat to the kingdom. Shortly after Solomon's death, the kingdom was then divided into two what we now know as Israel in the north. Judea in the south. It then follows through the division of the kingdoms throughout the years. And then we come to 1 Kings chapter 16 and we're introduced to a character called Ahab. And when you look at who Ahab was, you start to build a picture of where Israel are in this time in the Old Testament. And the Bible says this, Ahab... Son of Omri began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Uzziah's reign in Judea. He reigned in Samaria for 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the Lord's eyes. So we know right away that Ahab has done evil before God. As you continue to read the end of chapter 16, we find that he then married Jezebel who we know throughout the Bible is kind of classed as a symbol of sexual immorality, and she worshipped idols and false gods. We then see that it finishes chapter 16 by saying, Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So here we have the scene. We know there's been a division, Israel and Judea. We know that King Ahab is seen to have done evil before the Lord, and he is classed as the most evil king that has ever ruled over Israel. So we start to see how bad this situation actually is. Then all of a sudden, we hit 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is the first introduction we have of Elijah and it says now Elijah who was from Tishbe and Gilead told King Ahab as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives the God I serve there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kereth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kerith brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up and there was no, because there was no rainfall in the land. And I just love this fact that for Elijah, his first introduction is standing before this king that we've just read about as being the most evil king Israel have ever had. And, I, you know, the Bible's filled with accounts of men larger than life, like Moses or David, Daniel or Paul, but here we have Elijah. And I, I just want to look at Elijah and just start to see what, what makes him so great. Why does God use Elijah to go before the most evil king called Ahab? So I just want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, who are you? Even if you know them, who are you? got to have a wee bit of sass, you know, kind of like, who are you? Kind of, that's a, a bit more attitude. Yes, Jimmy, I like it. <laughs> that's your wife, Jimmy, it's Elmo. <laughs> Um But I, I think that's something that we can all relate to. We've been in situations where people sometimes look at us and say, like, who are you? What are you? Who am I? What am I doing up here preaching? Who are you? And I, I've got a great example of someone we had a family friend come over from Australia um, and we were going to a wedding in Stirling so we phoned up the person's wedding and said look we've got a friend coming from Australia can they come along as a guest and they said yeah that's great not a problem at all so you know when you go to a wedding and the usual conversation starts and it's like oh how do you know the bride how do you know the groom and obviously you usually have a side usually you know one of them he's kind of like well I don't really know anyone so it's kind of like well who are you and then about three weeks later they started putting facebook pictures up of the wedding and i kid you not in almost every single you know key picture of the wedding whether it's the bride walking down the aisle the cutting of the cake the big shot of everyone at the wedding there's our friend joe standing in the background and for all their whole wedding photos are going to be that who are you who's he where's he come from But I I truly believe that we can relate to that in life. Sometimes we go through situations where we are just like, who are they? What are they doing here? But for Elijah, there's some clues that God, God always gives us guidance in the Bible. And there's some clues that we can start to put together about who Elijah was. And the first thing I want to say about Elijah was, he's a common man. It's actually described in James Uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says this about Elijah. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. So, right away, we're told in James the biggest clue about Elijah. He is as human as we are. He's a common man. And then it goes on to say, that Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead. Now obviously, to understand a bit more, we need to actually read into about what is, what is Tishbe, where is it, and what is Gilead. And when you start to study it and look into it, you realize that the scholars aren't 100 percent sure where Tishbe actually is located. But Gilead was like an isolated, mountainous area. He was just He came from nowhere. He didn't come from a king's palace, he didn't come from a royal background, he was just a common man, human as you and me. And then one, one of my favorite verses, as we study more about 1 uh, Kings and 2 Kings, it actually says in 2 Kings this, it says in 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 7, it says, what so, so this is a, a new king's ruling at, this, uh, ruling at this point, but the king says, what sort of man was he? The king demanded, and his servants replied to him and said, Elijah, he was a hairy man that wore a leather belt around his waist. Exactly, Jimmy, that is it. When I'm studying the word of Elijah, I'm thinking, how human can he be? I'm thinking, a hairy man with a leather belt? I'm thinking, come on, God, you're having a laugh here. But the point I'm trying to get is Elijah was just as human as you and I. Maybe not as hairy, but he was as human. So you see, when I said at the beginning that God was saying to me, these are the days of Michael declaring the word of the Lord, I truly do believe that God wants to use every single one of us in declaring the word of the Lord. You see, God doesn't always pick the rich or the famous He doesn't always pick the well-connected. Sometimes he just picks the local lad or the local lass living in Dunfermline. When I first became a Christian, I very much had that attitude of kind of like, who who am I? Why would God want to use, use me? And I have shared this story before, so I'll be quick about it, but when I first became a Christian, uh, kind of the i had that attitude very much of what, what are you going to use me for god and god sent me on a mission trip to bulgaria and uh, i was at an old an elderly person's home and i shared my testimony and during the testimony there was an elderly lady on the right and she started weeping crying her heart out so i thought i'm already uncomfortable as it is so i'm just going to kind of slowly start speaking to this side of the room And the more I shared my testimony, the more this lady just started crying and crying. And I thought, God, I really don't want to be here. You know, I don't know what you're using me for. All I'm doing is sharing why I became a Christian. And then after the service, the translator came up to me with this lady. And to make matters worse, she then started stroking my face. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a bit of a hygiene freak. I'm thinking, when am I going to wash my face after this? But then the translator explained to me that, When I was sharing my testimony, this lady had just lost her son, and she wasn't sure if her son made it to heaven or not. And when I was sharing my testimony, she didn't see me at all. She saw God standing there with her arm around her son saying, don't you worry, your son is with me now. And when I heard that story, I thought, Michael Strachan from Perth, where I grew up, God's using me to speak to this lady in Bulgaria. I'm telling you, God can use all of us, hairy with leather belts or not. Come on, guys, let's just give it up for God. He can use us. (laughs) He said, I want to encourage you this morning that you don't have to be someone to do something. God can take the ordinary and make them extraordinary. You know, God can take the David Arnott's from Kelty and do extraordinary things, he can take the Grace Simpsons from Kinross and do extraordinary things, he can take all of us in this room this morning and do extraordinary things. And I believe you don't have to go down to the, the Rock Nations or the Cherish conferences, I believe here at the Vine God wants to make a movement and start to use every single one of us in this room. The second thing we see about Elijah's life within this first um, section of 17 Kings, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17, is that he is a committed man. And the first clue we get at that is Elijah's name. When you start to look at what his name actually means, Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. Or tr- some translations say, Elijah means, the Lord is my God. He also, you see, when we read it, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told the king, As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve. You see, he was in the presence of God when he was before this king. When he was before the most evil king of Israel, Elijah doesn't just go up to him and say, it's not going to rain. He starts off by saying, hey, I'm in the presence of God here. I've got the power and authority of God upon my life. He was dependent upon God in that situation before Ahab. So just to summarize this first section, we see that God answered Israel's worst king, By raising up one of the greatest and most powerful prophets in the Old Testament, in Elijah, which is significant in the aspect that, if you understand, Ahab was a king that worshipped the false god called Baal. Baal, sorry, called Baal. And Baal was believed to be the the false god of the, the wind and the rain. But yet, here's Elijah. The Lord is my God, is his name, standing before this king and saying, As surely as the Lord God of Israel, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next, uh, sorry, until I give the word. Isn't that incredible? Do you not think God's got a sense of humor? I think that's amazing. You know, when Hannah and I first got our house, We we actually we got a repossessed house um, from the Bank of Ireland, which is a story in itself. But when we were getting the house, we 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 tried to get a mortgage, as you do. You need a mortgage to get a house, and um, the the mortgage supplier said, "Right, I need to get because it's a repossessed house. I need to get all your proof of documents, building warrants, kind of proof that it's been finished." gas certificates, electric certificates, so we thought, well, oh, that's easy, that's fine, we just go back to the builder and say, right, we need all this stuff. So we did that, and then they wrote back and said, right, we've got a problem, we can't find the certificate to prove that it's safe for electricity, the electric certificate, and we thought, well, that's a bit bizarre, why would that happen? So the mortgage supplier said, right, I go on holiday for a week, but you need to have it when I come back, otherwise the, the deal's gonna fall through. So we thought, okay, here we go. So we, we contacted the uh, kind of real estate again and said, look, we really need to get a certificate. And they said, look, there's nothing we can do. We've sent one more email out in the hope that someday might have it. So the week went by and we were about to go on the Monday to meet this, uh, the mortgage advisor. And I got a phone call um, on the Friday, about half past five at night. From Glasgow, and I thought oh, I thought it was a client, so I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to bother answering it. And then I got a bit guilty. I thought, oh, I'll just answer it. It's Friday. I'll enjoy my weekend. So anyway, this guy goes, oh, is that Michael Strachan? I was like, yes. He goes, I've I've heard you're looking for the electric certificate for the building you're about to buy. I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, what's your email address? So I gave it to him, and he goes, right, I'm quite busy just now, but I've sent it through to you, so you'll get that. So I was like, okay, bye. So I was like, mm, that's a strange. Obviously, I know why he was phoning me, but it was quite an awkward conversation. I then go on my email address, and there it is. And this is where God's got a great sense of humor with names. The guy who emailed me was called christian.heart at gmail.com. Now, come on. I mean, this building certificate didn't just come out of nowhere. It came from God. This certificate for, like, to prove we needed it. We then went in on the Monday and said, here's a certificate The mortgage advisor then said, it's perfect timing because over that week that I never gave you a mortgage, I've actually managed to save you even more money. So not only did God save us money, he actually used a sense of humor with Christian heart and gave us that certificate we needed. So let's just give up for God for that. (laughs) You see, God really did call Elijah, to declare the word of the Lord. But just picture this again. Elijah's just given this to King Ahab that it's not going to rain, and then God says to him, right, this is your best achievement, but guess what? I want you to go and hide. He says, then the Lord said to Elijah, this is in verse 2 and 3, go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, So Elijah's just experienced this big God moment, and then he's been told to run away and hide. How frustrating would that be? You just feel like you've had this breakthrough. God's finally starting to use you, and then he says, oh, by the way, go and hide. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, now you see me, now you don't. So you see, once again, we need to turn to Scripture to start to understand what exactly is God trying to do here with Elijah. And as we start to study these verses, we start to see that he's been sent to hide by Kereth Brook. Now, as we start to look into what that actually means, the word Kereth means the cutting off Or the separation or isolation. In other words, what I believe is Elijah who's as common as you and I, he's a human, we've read that in James, I believe God wanted to cut him off from any temptation or any addiction that is currently surrounding Israel under the King Ahab. And you know, I truly believe that as Christians we have to face the same challenges. I believe that if you truly want to stand up and say that you can declare the word of the Lord, that we as Christians must come clean. We must remove ourselves, sometimes in isolation, of the temptations and the addictions that we face. You know, there's addictions in gambling. Where if you're addicted to gambling, guess what? Remove yourself from it. Delete the apps. Don't go into the shops. We're surrounded in Scotland. Even in the firmland, there's just every street corner, there's a gambling shop you can go into. Guess what? If you're addicted to it, don't go near it. The latest studies in America show that 68% of men in a church have some sort of temptation or addiction to pornography. Let me put that another way. That means almost seven men out of every 10 have an addiction to pornography in a church. So if you took 10 men in here, seven of them might be tempted under it. That's a scary stat. Now I know that's in America, but I'd like to think it's not the same here, but you just never know. I had a friend at university who was in financial trouble, she was addicted to shopping, I don't know it sounds silly but it's an addiction as well and she had four or five credit cards and she came to me and said I just can't help, I just keep on spending money on my credit cards and I was like the only way to remove it is to isolate yourself from it. So we literally stood there in front of her and we cut all our credit cards up and then I started to laugh and she was thinking what are you laughing at, this is a serious issue. I was like, you cut your credit cards up, but you then also cut your driving license up by mistake. I was like, that's now going to cost you to renew it. But the point is this, we really need to isolate ourselves from these addictions and temptations. And this is what God is doing to Elijah. He's protecting him. He's putting him in isolation. He's sending him to this Kerith Brook. He's cutting him off from anything that could tempt him. Can I just also say that every addiction starts with a little temptation. So you may be tempted just to do one thing once or twice but before you know it that can evolve into addiction. You see there's other examples throughout the Bible of this kind of isolation moment. We have Moses for 40 years in the desert. We even have people like Joseph who was put in isolation in a prison. Doesn't sound like your dream isolation, does it? But that's what happened. God isolated him. Our Kereth Brook moment is to get some of the world out of us. God truly provided for Elijah in this moment. It says he provided by the flowing, the natural flowing of the river brook. And then he provided in the miracle way, it says that the ravens brought him uh, bread and meat. Actually, it says that. So Elijah, this verse five. So Elijah did as the Lord told him in camp beside Kerith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening. Do you know that I believe Elijah was the first man ever to have a hamburger? That's what it says? Bread and meat it shouldn't be called a big Mac. It should be called a big Elijah. Sounds good to me. But that truly was a miracle in itself. God used ravens to bring meat to Elijah. Ravens love meat. That's what they eat themselves. yet somehow God managed to provide a provision of meat through the one thing that was a meat lover in Ravens. We've also got to remember that this was during a drought and a famine, that you know what happens to you and I, the common people, when a famine hits. There is no meat, so I find it ironic, and once again God's sense of humor Elijah said to the king, it's not going to rain. He's sent away in isolation to hide. But yet God's using the ravens to go into the palace, I believe, and steal the meat from the king and take it to Elijah in isolation. You've got to just love God. When you start to look at his part, he's just, oh, sorry. I love God. I'm getting overwhelmed by God. He's amazing. But you see, as we study Elijah more, It's so important that we understand where our provision comes from. And I believe, you know, Aaron spoke there actually about kind of tithes and offerings. I believe that one of the most significant things as Christians is the provision that God gives us when we recognize Him as first. You know, it says there that God provided His food and water but then as we start to see, the rain, the, the brook dried up because there was no rain. I just want you to imagine that for a minute. You're there in isolation. You've got this free-flowing provision from God. Then it turns to a trickle, and you start to think, Oh, God, what are you doing here? You said you would provide for me. That trickle then becomes a little puddle as it dries up. That puddle then becomes droplets of water. You know how many of us have been in a position where maybe God's provided that dream job and you think God's going to provide for me here and about six months into the job what you believe to be the flowing of God then all of a sudden starts to become a trickle from God and before you know it this dream job isn't quite as it seemed to be. You know I know when Hannah got one of her jobs There was a big company moving across from Edinburgh to Dunfermline and Hannah got what we thought was her dream job and it was a dream job in the sense that it allowed her to be more creative, allowed her to express her kind of management skills but her boss was an absolute nightmare, he was a horrible man. So all of a sudden you're in this position where This dream job becomes a bit of a nightmare job when you think, God, I thought you were going to provide for me here. What's happening here? Your provision just seems to be drying up. And very much our human instinct is to just run away. I love the fact that Elijah, he doesn't get up and run away when the brook starts to dry up. He stays there because he's dependent upon God. He's in a waiting room. He's waiting for God to... To move and give him his next steps. He was a man, a hero of faith. He had faith that God had called him to go there, so he was going to wait and see what God was going to do for him. You know, if I could ask you this question, when you're in a place of provision that starts to dry up, what happens if you could see the hard times in advance? What happens if you knew that dream job was going to turn out to be a nightmare of a boss? What happens if you knew that the, the, kind of, the little temptations was going to become into an addiction? You wouldn't do it. But yet here we see Elijah, a true hero of faith. He demonstrates complete dependence in God during this time of waiting. It says in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew your strength, they shall mount up like wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Church, I'm just going to, we've just got a song we're going to end with called Take Courage. And one of the most important lines it says in it is, it is in the waiting. You know, if you feel that you've been sent away in isolation, there's a reason for it because it's in the waiting. Sometimes you feel you've been called like Elijah was on a mission and then God says, whoa, let's just put you in isolation for a bit. Let's just have a waiting, a waiting game here. You need to wait for it. You need to prepare your heart. You need to become more God-focused. Let's remove you from these temptations of the world. So will you just stand with me, church, as we just play this video? And I just want you to think about maybe some temptations that you have in life. Maybe you need to isolate them, cut them off, do what Elijah did. But more importantly, let's have faith to believe that in your waiting time, in your waiting zone, God can start to stir your heart and start to move you so that you and I, the true humans, can declare the Word of the Lord and become true heroes of faith. Amen, church.